It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Bob Brown, President, CEO, and Chairman of American Asphalt Company. It is believed that the owner of all businesses is actually God, so Bob believes that he has been entrusted to steward the people and assets at American Asphalt while he is here on Earth. Bob is the visionary of the business, looking for opportunities to grow the list of satisfied customers and also help the people grow who depend on the company for employment or economic benefit. He grew up in a family business and in 1986 purchased the assets of a small asset company that he grew from five employees to its current over 170 staff. Bob actively participates in the construction industry and in the communities in which he works and resides. He served as the president of the board of the Food Bank of South Jersey for nine years and is a past chairman and current emeritus board member of the Associated Builders and Contractors of New Jersey. Bob also actively participates in Group C12, a Christian business owners group where we are both active members. In his spare time, Bob enjoys being a volunteer fireman. Bob Brown, welcome into the corner office. Thank you. Ah, it's great to have you here. And gosh, we spoke a couple of weeks ago. Goodness, as we record this now, we're uh, uh, almost to the end of September. We're, I even lost count of the months. How many months have we been in this <laughs> pandemic? Six or seven by last count. How are you holding up? How are your people? And importantly, you know, how are you doing personally? Um, God has protected our mm. people. Uh, we have 170 employees. We wow. do not have anybody or haven't had anybody afflicted with COVID or Amen. a relative with COVID. We're an essential service. So we've been allowed to uh, operate uh, through this whole thing Stay and open, our, yeah. we're having our best year ever. So wow. God is uh, good. <laughs> God is, is good. <laughs> he, is blessed, he is blessing. Uh, he's blessing himself because it's his business. He's, there you he's go. steering it the right way. Well, and your, your expression of gratitude is so high as, as you know, we all are fathers in one way or the other, and we know how good it is when we get the compliments and we have the gratitude shown to us. So I'm sure he's smiling down on us today. Well, I want to talk about your background and let's talk about your family and your father and mother. T tell me about your early years, where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Um, I grew up in South Jersey, um, in sort of a suburb uh, type of community. 
my parents were both Christians, yeah. so I was brought up going In to Sunday school was yeah. the the normal thing. And when I got to be a teenager, I participated in the UMYF group and oh, right. I sang in the choir. And to me, it was a uh, social environment. My friends were there. I felt very at home at, at church. Uh, so I was given a, a great example mm. early on by my parents of, uh, you know, being a Christian. Now, as a young person, that was sort of a, a Sunday activity and a Thursday sure. night choir activity. Right, it was, right, it right. wasn't a 24 hour seven <laughs> acknowledgement. Uh, I certainly wasn't mature enough at that point. To we have understand. to grow into that. Right. Yeah. yeah and, that. and that took a lifetime. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't even a few years <laughs> for you and me, bro, brother. Tell me about brothers and sisters. Were you an only child? What was your, uh, I had uh, two brothers, one okay. older, one younger, right, uh, my, my younger brother uh, passed away of a drug overdose mm. at 39 oh, years old. He, he was a year younger than me. Yeah. Uh, that was a, a difficult um, thing to watch. And Imagine. my uh, older brother's four years older. He's been a lifetime fire chief, just recently mm. retired. Um, and we're we're close. That's awesome. And, and dad, what kind of profession did he have? Mom, did she work outside the home? Well, my mom did not work outside the home, uh, and my parents got divorced when I was nine years old. Oh, okay. So yeah, that was yeah. uh, troubling, uh, yeah. maybe uh, maturing and sure. splitting time between parents. And they each brought uh, great value to my life. My mm. mother, certainly a great loving example, encouraging, gave me a lot of self-confidence later in life. And my father was a, a, a very good businessman, so... He was uh, cheap, so <laughs> growing up, he uh, allowed enough money for us to uh, to exist, I guess, without right. any frills. But right, when right. I wanted to buy a new bike or a set of drums or anything, his answer was no. Uh, you know, you got to <laughs> earn it yourself. So yourself, early right, on right. in life, I uh, you know started doing anything I could do to raise money so I could stand on my own and not burden my mother with uh, you know supporting hobbies and and the toys and the kind of stuff I wanted. But later on in life, my dad came full circle of showing me how to run a business and trusting me mm. with the family business. And that's a, a life lesson that I could never have mm. replaced. So they both brought value in different ways into my life. Did you go back and forth as an early teenager or did you spend most of your time with mom? You know, um, I my mother was the custodial parent, so right. it was every other weekend and two weeks yeah. in the summer with my dad, right. uh, and he moved on and remarried, and his wife had uh, two Another sons, family. so they're my stepbrothers. So right. it was, we were mostly with my mother, and once you get to be a teenager and you develop yeah. a yeah, social circle in sports, yeah. Yeah. you don't want to go. It's like, That's hey, right. this, no, this exactly. is my base. I yeah. want to go to yeah. the football game yeah. Saturday. Exactly. And, right. and if I went to my dad's house selfishly he'd go golfing on Saturday like he had custody but what's the point he's not even here he's golfing so we're right. me and my brothers are on our own to entertain ourselves so yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just a, a life lesson makes good sense when, when did you come to Christ and you know what role did he play in your upbringing early on and it was um a group effort in in church that the the whole class and I'm going to say I was probably seven, eight, nine years old, something mm. like that. Uh, we're taught that this was the thing to do. We all uh, went up and prayed and confessed and gave mm. our, our lives to Christ. And yeah. at the time, I didn't know the meaning of that. It right, just right. sort of, that's what we did. So early on, there was an acknowledgement. And as I grew, I knew the difference between right and wrong, sin and, and not sin. Right. I didn't understand that all of us are sinners and, you know, everything we do that's 
that is a sin. There's like no uh, levels of different kinds of sin. Right. I didn't, I, I didn't understand all that. I just did the best I could every day. And I thought I was a good person at heart. It was like, I, I think I know the 10 commandments and I try to follow them to the best of my ability. Sure. Uh, but I certainly wasn't a, uh, a perfect man for sure. And did you come back to the church later in, in later in your years? Maybe jump fast forward to that a couple of minutes. I, I guess I never, um, as I moved, as I got married and moved from one house to another, I always ended up with a church home. Uh, my first wife was a Catholic, hmm. so she would go with me to church occasionally, but she wasn't really, she didn't think the Methodist church where I grew up was all that. And then some, she, you know, went back to her Catholic faith got and it. occasionally I'd go to Catholic church with her. So we were back and forth, but through my first marriage, most times she would stay home on Sunday morning and I would mm. go to church by myself. So that was right, sort of right. the, the beginning of the the break or wedge yeah. in the marriage. You can see we're not like aligned right, in faith right. and other things. So, and then That's once so I went through a divorce uh, in my early 40s and I was in the, the mid 90s, I was on my knees in church asking God mm. for direction. What am I doing? How does this work? Why is this happening? Yeah, yeah. Gosh, great, good story. Well, we'll we'll get back to that uh, point a, a little later in the podcast. Tell us about your early years again. Good student in school. Did you play a lot of sports? You know, music, theater. You know, what kind of things were you involved with, both academically and outside the classroom? I guess I was semi-popular. I guess I wasn't the the coolest kid in school. And in in those days, there were different cliques and different groups. Sure. But I had a circle of friends. Um, I wasn't able to. Um, play football. I wanted to play football, but mm. I had braces put on my teeth in eighth oh. grade. And when I went to ninth grade uh, football, the coach says, basically, you know, you even with a mouth guard, you're going to get severely injured. <laughs> you're going to get an elbow to the face and your lips are going to be chopped liver and you don't want to do this. So right, I, right. I stood down and I, uh, I did run and track. And um, so I was fast and I was athletic, but the call of money overcame mm. the call of sports. So I ended up working part-time jobs early in, uh, at 15 years old, I yeah. started working yeah. in a gas station, pumping gas after school right. to earn money. Cause I wanted to have a car and I sure. wanted to have drums. And so yeah. music was definitely something that, uh, my younger brother and I shared and, you know, we we're into the rock and roll, the whole Beatles thing cool. and all that. Did you uh, have a band? Did you play in a band? I did. Or, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to talk about that, but yeah, <laughs> we, we played many a basement and many a garage. Uh, I love but, uh, it. I love it. Was, it. Any, any paid gigs at all? Or was it just we, more won. Fun? we We played yeah. at a swim club, a local swim club. They had a dance and they hired us and actually paid us. Uh, so we That's had a good great. time doing it. Uh, and my, br my brother was an excellent mu musician. He could play almost any instrument, really. And he became the, became a professional musician later wow. on, which wow. added to the drug, drug culture yeah. in his life. But yeah. he yeah. definitely had a lot more talent than I did. Uh, so I moved on into the, the business world early on in my late teens. And right. music sort of took a... a Third seat, fourth seat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Was, any yeah. any other entrepreneurial things you're involved with? Did you have the you know ubiquitous paper route when you were younger? You know, mowed the lawns locally, that kind of thing. You got it. I had two different paper routes. Um, we had a lawn cutting um, circuit, uh, and we used my mother's lawn mower. So you know, low overhead. All we had to do was put gas in it and push it. Right. And, you know, we right. could earn ourselves twenty bucks a, a house to cut lawns. We shoveled snow in the winter. I had a wagon. I got. Uh, 
you know, ice, a block of ice and would shave it down and add Kool-Aid to it. And so uh, snow cones uh, and my mother supplied the ice and the Kool-Aid. I got to keep the money. So that was a great business model. Uh, (laughs) 100% profit. All I had to do was pull that wagon and yell water ice as I walked up and down street. So early on, um, I was trying to figure out ways that I could make money so I could, you know, buy uh, my mother a gift at Christmas or buy my own bike or, or do those kinds of things. Now, you went to Rutgers, great New Jersey-based school. Was that kind of a preconceived uh, decision? Did mom or dad go there? Or was it just, you know, the local available and this is what you had your sights on? I don't know if if I'm smart or dumb about this, but it was a (laughs) preconceived notion. My father picked up the tab and wanted me to go to college. I didn't want to go to college. I wanted Mm. to work and start my life. I I thought I had it all going on at 18. And I wasn't a good student through high school. I did enough to get by. I I didn't like school. I couldn't wait to get out and go to work. Uh, And it just, you know, it it did being a student didn't call to me. So I suffered through a year of Rutgers I, 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 the only classes I remember taking were psychology and accounting. The rest of it was sort of a, a blur to me. <laughs> right. And I worked for my dad and the family. They had an HVAC and fuel oil business. So I oh. was able to go and be the dispatcher and work from, you know, three to like 11 at night dispatching servicemen. And I sure. could read and do my studies there. So it was a perfect combination. I could have a job and earn and go to school. But after one year of college, I was Rammy, um, I was turning 19. Uh, I was engaged to be married, I think, at that time, thinking I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, and my father allowed me to stand over his shoulder and see mm. how the business was done. And I was a quick study of, you know, how do I do this? And I, I actually- No, this was, a, this was the business he owned. Yeah, it was, and it started with my grandfather, then my dad. Okay. So it started in 1926. So it was a, a what, small what was business. the business? Uh, it was fuel oil, heating oil, fuel, okay. it's, and yeah, it's air your conditioning. Kind of, yeah. uh, so uh, they taught me when I was 16 how to install heaters, how to clean heaters, wow. and I was just a young buck that could carry stuff and sure. work with a journeyman. But I got to learn all the trades, which is a great skill I use through my whole life taking care of houses because I can do electrical work, some woodwork, some cement work, some right, uh, right. Uh, air conditioning. I, I know enough to be dangerous uh, to, to maintain <laughs> things, but it was a great skill set to be in the union working for my dad driving an oil truck, doing all this work. Um, and I got a lot of skills from that, but he saw and was counseled that I'm never going to learn to be a great businessman in his Mm -hmm. shadow. So, uh, I was into cars at the time, uh, muscle cars. He, my dad had the foresight to lend me the money, $50,000 to start an auto parts store. So, uh, at 20 years old, I had my first business financed by my dad, but I opened up a a retail store called it son's auto supply because Hmm. it was my dad's money. And I didn't want anybody to know my name so I could dodge salespeople. But, but I started off hiring, you know, four or five people and managing inventory and handling collections and credit and selling auto parts for a living. So that, that became me for the first few yeah. years of my life. Was that the first time you really started managing people then, Bob? Yes. Yeah, Other than yeah. in the fuel business, but basically sure. I was the son of the boss. So, yeah, you know, right, it's like, right. I, I felt that I was doing it, but certainly I, I was in my dad's shadow and he was a few steps away to go say, what do I do about this guy that's not listening to me or whatever? So he counseled me and certainly taught me some things of, you know, how to negotiate with the union and how to discipline people. But his his culture was more of the uh, control and command military structure okay. of running a business. Than, right, than right. what what it is today. 
Well, you're today you're president, CEO, and chairman of the board of, of American Asphalt. You've been there 34 years. So looking at my calculations, there was about 13 years there where you did a number of different things. It looks like it obviously worked for dad for a bit, running this auto parts store. And, you know, before you actually purchased the assets of American Asphalt, give me just kind of an overview of those 13 years. Well, you know, if you had to kind of draw a, a line through the various activities that you had, what were some of the lessons you've learned and some of the things that uh, perhaps uh, you wished you hadn't have gone and done <laughs> to yeah. help us, you know, that are listening as to kind of the things maybe to avoid to have the life. So after running the auto parts store for about three years, my father had a heart attack mm. and um, they called me and said, basically, you got to come over here and run uh -huh. the family business. And yeah. I, yeah. it was like cutting off my right arm because I felt Can the imagine. auto parts business was my business. I created right. it and I sure. lived it. I breathed it. And I'm like, well, the, <laughs> I don't want to profitable. Go. Yeah, you, I don't, was yeah, profitable. Was doing uh, well. We were, we were getting by, but you you're know, sales, earning a living. Yeah, yeah. Sales were probably a half a million dollars a year. And the fuel oil business was probably doing $3 million a year. And so, yeah. you know, where do I belong? Uh, I belonged at the oil business. So I, yeah. Yeah. I went there and I sold the auto parts store, mm. um, and the, the guy that bought it defaulted, so I had to take it back and resell mm. it. That was a painful exercise. Mm. But mm. during that 13 years of running the oil business, I'm a, you know, full of energy, 22, 23, 24-year-old. Yeah. I went out and bought up some of our competitors, small oh. operators that had one or two trucks that couldn't make ends meet and folded them into my company. So I was able to expand the customer base, expand the fleet, expand the sales. Mm. Um, so I learned a lot of lessons of of doing deals and buying and selling businesses. And I, I right. to this day, right. I, I really enjoy that piece of it. Yeah. But I grew it too fast. So mm. Not having the sense or looking at what could go wrong, I only looked at what could go right. I didn't account for <laughs> some things that could happen. Um, and my dad trusted me and gave me enough rope to hang myself, basically. Mm. So um, I moved the business into a giant facility, uh, spent a million dollars on a building, a million dollars on a uh, million gallon asphalt or a a fuel oil storage tank and a new computer back when you needed a computer room and the big dials were spinning and you had to have it air conditioned and climate controlled, but that was like a half a million dollars. I spent way too much money and then we had a warm winter. So my sales oh tanked because nobody yeah. needed as much oil because it was warm out. Yeah. My bank came to me after the season and said, you got to raise some capital or we're not yeah. going to give you a line of credit. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll take on a partner. And I soon found nobody with money is going to be a minority partner in a family mm, business. They all want control. Course. So yeah. it, it quickly flipped to the only way out would be sell the business. So I eventually sold the family business. Mm. And unfortunately for me, and this is sort of the beginning of the awakening of the God story, mm. um, I sold the business and we got enough money at settlement to pay off our debts. And yeah. we took back a note, a five-year note for what would be my father's investment in the company that I owned hundred percent of the stock. So basically I was going to get the money and pay my dad back what I owed mm. him for buying the business wow. and it would have worked out. Well, the guy negotiated five one-year equal payments. So he didn't have to make a payment until one year from the sale. Mm. And he hired me to be the president and run the company. And I found out within the first month, he was a crook and he expected oh, me goodness. to be a crook. So I walked out and said, I, you know, I can't, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. I, I right. have some right. moral turpitude. So, yeah. um, he'd never made the first payment a year later mm. when it became obviously he was not going to pass. My dad and myself were out of the business with no money. 
Mm. And like, what the heck do we do now? So God brought me to my knees for sure. At that point, it's like, what are you going to do? You've been stripped of power. You've been stripped of money, control, (laughs) a job. You got nothing. Um, And that was that was a big dilemma. Um, So uh, unbeknownst to me at that time, I thought I had a good idea. Didn't give God the credit. I went out to 20 people that I knew, family, friends, business associates that trusted me and and asked to borrow $10,000 from each of them. Mm. And I offered them 20% interest because in the mid eighties, prime rate was like 18, 19%. So I offered them 20% and I offered them a piece of the profits until I paid them back. Mm. So out of the 20 people I asked, 10 people said yes. So I had $100,000, 10 people with 10 grand a piece gave me an unsecured loan. And I took that to a bank with a business plan uh, that I knew and said, I want to buy an asphalt paving business. Mm. Um, And I got a hundred grand to put down, but I needed another 300 grand to make a down payment to to buy buy the business. So uh, the bank made a character loan. Once again, God in it, they they don't even do that today. No, (laughs) They they believed in me, said, you know, we, we trust you. We'll, we'll give you the money. Um, And I bought a bunch of junk um, that once again, got in it. If I had known what I was buying, I never would have bought it. So the first day after settlement, the, the seller didn't want me to meet his people. He, he was afraid they would quit if he found out he was selling. So oh he introduced me as the new owner and one guy quit on the spot and there were only four employees. So I, oh I lost one on he the lost spot. Yeah, I lost 25%. Right and, and, uh. and these guys, the remaining employees said, I hope you have a lot of money. And I started laughing. I said, I, I don't have any money. I, uh, you know, yeah. I don't, I'm going to make payroll this week. I didn't tell them that, but I was, I had a a $10,000 home equity line of credit. That was my slush fund to to make payroll. And they said, I asked them why they were asking that. They said, you need a new asphalt plant. The asphalt plant you bought, which I thought had some substantial value, they said is totally worn out. It's rusted out. You know, it barely runs. And I said, well, how much is a new asphalt plant? They said, I don't know, a couple million dollars. And I I went home (laughs) and curled up in the fetal position. And like, what have I done? I borrowed from everybody that trusted me and I borrowed from a bank and I have a bunch of junk on my hands. I had no choice but to work hard every day, mm. work through it, fix stuff at night, sell the, the jobs myself, work doing the jobs and making asphalt during the day. So I, I learned the business from the ground up doing all the uh-huh. jobs, but certainly God provided for me because it's a miracle I survived that. It's a miracle that yeah. the company grew year over year over year, that good people were, you know, came up and were willing to work with me and just people paid me. I had very little bad debt, mm. um, that hard work paid off. And back then I thought it was me. Now I look uh, back, I'm uh. like, how? Did that happen? It, it was definitely <laughs> God helping me, God steering me that, you know, now I, I realize what was going on. I didn't then. Well, Bob, you and I are both members of the C12 group, and I know you've been involved about seven years down in Delaware. I have been a member up here about three years in Connecticut. And I'll tell you, for me, that was just such a, a, a seminal event. Right. And finally realizing, yeah, that God does own my business. <laughs> I'm just his steward. And, you know, I need to just do with the best I can and, and he'll do the rest. Did you kind of come around to that when you got back in C12? Did it happen before or join C12? Or did it happen before that? I 
once I got to the size that I could spend some time on executive training and get my hands that I didn't have to be dirty every day and wear work boots and coveralls, I could actually sit. <laughs> Fixing that asphalt desk. plant. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it, it took time to grow to that, but I did grow. Right. And I joined Vistage, which is okay. a, you know, a nationwide CEO group. Yeah. But secular. It, secular. Yeah, right. Right. And, right. and what mm-hmm. I learned after doing that for eight years is most people came when they had a problem. They didn't come when mm. the things were good and I needed help. So I, I went to a meeting where I needed help and there was only three or four people out of 12 that showed up. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't really good. And, and C12 right. happened to solicit me for membership just at that time. And I wow, said, perfect. I felt, is this God calling me? So I tried it out. <laughs> I did both for a month. And as soon as I went to the C12 group, this was 2013, uh, right. I, I felt that these are people that care. It yeah. was a smaller yeah. group, but these are people that are lined in thought, care about each other. I belong here. I don't belong in Vistage. So I dropped out of Vistage and C12 has been a significant part of my life for the last eight years. And it's not just the the lesson plans. It's the camaraderie. Uh, right. It's the, the network of friends that help me carry the load that I feel yeah. good when yeah. I can help others to avoid mistakes. And it's remarkable to me that there was a, a female um, hairdresser that owned two hairdressing mm. shops in my group. And when she came in, I'm thinking, what could this person possibly <laughs> Ever teach me, me. And yeah, as a yeah. construction company, like, <laughs> right. I, but you know what? One meeting, I was having a personnel problem, and she came out with a nugget of wisdom that put wow. me on my heels. I'm like, oh wow. my, where did that come from? That's that, great. Uh, it was just amazing. So, to me, I don't want anybody to ever be short sighted that look at the group and think that they're not compatible or they're not helpful. That is so far from the truth. They're people and they care, and everybody comes, and God speaks to us through different people in yes, different ways. And if you're open to that, it, it's been a wonderful experience. Yeah. You know, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when we first met. And, you know, I refer to C12 as kind of my non-executive board of directors. Definitely. You know, they're, yes. they're going to be honest. They're going to be transparent. They're going to tell me things I don't like to hear and make me feel uncomfortable. But but I know where their heart is. And uh, I've found the same thing. I think when, you know, the content's great, but one of the things I enjoy is the forum afterwards where we throw up ideas and help each other. And, and for those of our listeners who don't know C12, Group C12 has been around, gosh, about 20, 25 years, Bob, I think. And uh, Buck, Buck, um, Starbuck Jacobs started that about that time. We've got Mike Shero as our CEO for the last few years. And I think we're up to about almost 2,500, 3,000 members it's, now. They st- I think Buck started it in Florida, in Florida uh, and right. it sort of grew up the East Coast. So it took a while yeah, for them yeah. to get a group. And it was a combined group between Delaware and New Jersey to have enough nucleus that I joined right. and we met right. in Delaware. So for the first couple of years, I was driving a half an hour south to Delaware to be in a group. Wow. Now we've split off and we have, have a group in based in South Jersey. So we have south enough Jersey. members yeah. and it's growing. So, it's but great. I would give C12 the credit of one of the first things they did. They have a uh, table when you went into the meeting with some uh, support uh, books and Materials. pamphlets mm-hmm. and things. Yeah. One yeah. of the books was The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. I took that book and it, this, it seemed so simple to me that, hey, answer these six questions about you know how to <laughs> get your business line. I'm like, oh, this is fine. I'll do the book and check it off and be done that. And the first question is, <laughs> why do you exist? And I'll tell you, yeah. that knocked me like a punch in the chest. How, why? Right. And I had to look in the mirror. I'm like, I don't know why we exist. How can mm. I expect any of my people to understand why we exist? I don't right. know. So right. we spent the next six months. I bought a copy for each one of my management team. And it forced me to go from an entrepreneurial style of management in my company where I'm the end all, be all, mm. right. answer right. all, to yeah. a professionally yeah. group, the 
delegated. We had to get naked t- in front of each other and heal the heal the wounds. I thought, I thought we all got along. I honestly felt my management team was all aligned. And when we got into the book and sat around the table, I was amazed that people had yeah. hurt feelings, had insulted each other, disrespected each other, and, wow. and thought word indeed that that all had to be healed. So the book says you got to get naked. And that was the truth. And I don't like conflict. So it was very right. uncomfortable for me. Right. But it was a great imagine. exercise to get all that out, fix it. And then we all agreed on why we exist and how we're going to behave. It turned into core values that we still use to this day. So my company was so far changed by God, taking me to C12, leading me to the advantage, mm. changing the company to a, a professionally managed company. And we just culminated that by doing an ESOP and selling half the business to my employees two years ago. Wow, so it's And to me, what a plan of God to share the wealth, to reward people that don't have any uh, any way to have a safe retirement and give them shares in a successful company over time that, you know, they should all be getting, you know, checks in the six figures when they retire. And that, I'm talking about yeah. a group of a hundred and some people. That's, that's like, great. that's a miracle. That's how could, how could these people ever have a benefit? And it's good for me. I'm secure. Uh, it's, right. it's tax benefit wise, but I never would have known anything. If you, if I hadn't joined C12, I hadn't seen the advantage yeah. of, I hadn't gone through the exercise. I hadn't found how God was speaking to me and protecting me from myself. It's been a, a, a wonderful ride. That's terrific. Well, and it, let's just do a, you know, a quick, again, thumbnail on that 35 years. So, so four employees and then three, um, and then you're, you're up to 170 today. Was that the figure yes, that you're that's, in total? That's and, and, and your, your market area is pretty much Jersey, Delaware. Where, where are you currently operating? Um, Cause asphalt business, you, you can't go that far. Yeah. Right? You've got to, yeah, there's a 25 mile radius or so from right, our, right. uh, two asphalt, uh, manufacturing facilities. So that, that gives us, uh, pretty much a South Jersey presence. We right. occasionally go into Pennsylvania and we're currently uh, negotiating to maybe have a, a branch office in Southeast PA. And in May of this year, we bought a uh, company in North Jersey in Scotch Plains that does asphalt maintenance work. So I have a uh, an office uh, in Scotch Plains. We have a okay. crew of six people and a manager on site. So we're, we're spreading out and that mergers and acquisitions training of buying little oil companies when, when I was 24, I'm up to about 36 companies I bought or sold over wow. my lifetime. So I love the wow. art of the deal. I love putting stuff together that's yeah. a win-win. And that right now is really, there's an awful lot of fruit on the tree. There's three or four opportunities we have to continue to grow and, and add other companies into our organization. That's awesome. So how many companies have you actually purchased during that 35-year period? Uh, I'm going to say probably 25. There's wow, probably 25 really? buys and 10 sells. Yeah. So I've had, I bought a mill writing company that uh, did steel mm. work, and I have a uh, traffic control company that rented and um, sold all the traffic control devices. I bought a mm. uh, a marine electronic uh, company that did radar, sonar, and stuff on boats. That was a big mistake. I lost a lot of money because I trusted people. <laughs> and yeah, I, I quickly learned again, it's when, you know, uh, God calls us to love each other and to trust right. people. And you got to be careful with that because I trusted and loved on people that had other ideas about stealing <laughs> ideas, from me yeah. and uh mm-hmm. and it just i had to shut down a business and that was a very painful thing to admit failure that there was no way i could run it remotely there was no way i could bring in people that could change that culture so not every decision i made was a good one uh, sure. but at least the losses were small in comparison to the ones i did that have been very good 
God gives us a little bit of slack, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> he, he, he continues to train us. It's like, he you, you don't know it. Us, you yeah. think you Let's know it. Let's go a little bit. Yeah, we'll but, reel you back in when you got a little bit too yeah, far. How many of those companies were under the American Asphalt uh, umbrella? Were there also companies you purchased in that, or was that built more as a separate uh, I'd say there's probably five other paving wow. companies that I've absorbed. Wow. And the yeah. driver for me was to get the talent. So sure. to take a entrepreneur-run business with you know, five, 10, 15 guys, the owner is selling the jobs, working on the machinery at night, operating the machinery or, or doing something, you know, with his hands all day. And you can do that for a period of time, but you can't be sick. You can't take a vacation. It's a a heck of a life. So my appeal to them is stop doing that and come and join my team. We're a family atmosphere. We'll reward you in monetarily better than you can earn on your own. But I really need that crew. You can't find people today. So if I can onboard the crew, take their machinery, blend it in or, you know, sell it. And we're, we already have the sales down. We know how to sell the product. I just need people to do it. So that's been very successful to take smaller companies and the owners come in. They understand what it takes to run a business. So they make great managers, management, estimators. They understand it all. So some of my key people have been entrepreneurs that, that came and joined my company. Well, you know, one of the biggest challenges, and you've read about this in business books, and I've certainly have seen it in my work, you know, M&A acquisition success is kind of about 50-50. In fact, in some industries, it's a lot lower than that. And, and one of the key challenges is how do you integrate new people into an existing company culture? So, so Bob, how do you do that? Because obviously you bought some of these guys, they had their own values, their own direction, you know, they were the entrepreneurs running the show, and all of a sudden now they're working for you and their people are working for you. How do you how do you kind of get that culture across? How do they enculturate them into American asphalt? Well, my first approach would be to the seller to try to meet with them and understand mm-hmm. what it is they want. Because I only want to do a win-win deal. I don't want to just right. beat them up and get a great price and have it. That, that's a sure. short trip. Because so, you want to keep them. You yeah, want to I keep do. the people. I, I, yeah. And I want them to be happy with the deal, not feeling bad about it. So once I can understand what's driving them, is it time off? Is it money? Is it security? Is it what they're doing or whatever's going on in their life? Then I look at if, if, if I can figure that out and, and the numbers work and I can put something in front of them that makes sense, the next step is, is there a cultural alignment? We're an open shop company. If they're a union environment, that is not going to mix. That is not how we run our business. Yeah, so that's right, a, a, right. The, almost an that's undoable thing. I can't yeah, do right. it. It would expose me on the other side that they would unionize my company. Sure, and I, of I, I would prefer not that to happen. So yeah, right. the cultural alignment is the key to the whole deal. If right, there are people... Sure. Don't want to come. And I, I did buy one paving company in uh, probably 25 miles north of here. And it was a owner and his wife running the company. And they had mm. a crew of about eight people. Mm. At the end of the dance, the owner and his wife came to work for me. None of the eight people came. Really? They, they all said you know, they were, number one, they were aging out. They were, you know, right. in right. their 60s. It's like, if I ever thought a time to stop, this would be the time. Because yeah. I don't want to drive yeah. to a different company and drive a different truck and do a different right. thing. So right. all right. I did was I got a bunch of equipment, which I could have bought anywhere. I didn't get any people. And it blew <laughs> up in my face. So oh, once again, I was taught <laughs> the school of hard knocks of uh, yeah. God showing me what not to do. Uh, so 
since then, that, that's I've had other opportunities very similar that I'm leery of that, that I want to make sure that I can talk yeah. to the people and can I improve their life or my benefits and pay structure mm. and culture and environment better than what they have? If so, they're going to come and they're going to be happy. If if the right. cultures don't align and they expect more money or more benefits than we're giving, I can't walk away. Yeah, I, I can't handle it. I got yeah. 170 yeah. people that are happy with it. I can't ruin that pot for 10 right. or 15 new right. people. So it's Good. challenging, but it's doable. And it's very simple, right? You know, you have to ask the kind of questions that to get to that cultural alignment. Well, you know, you've obviously hired a lot of people too organically as you've grown. You know, what do you look for, Bob, when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? How they have faith in themselves, mm. how they uh, treat others. And, you know, great questions in, a, in an interview is and when I ask them, tell me about a time they've helped somebody else. Not themselves. It's very telling. <laughs> if yes, they can't come right. up with anything, that sort of leads me to you know where they're at. Now maybe they need to mature into it, but you right, know, right. Uh, you know, people that have lied to their banker and gotten in financial mm. trouble or something like that's business one hundred and one. You can't lie to your banker; they're your partner. Right, you need to be open right. and honest. But that whole culture uh, is how I find people that if if they're willing to realize they're not perfect, if they're willing to continue to grow, if they say they're a servant leader and that I can bear that out with some right, proof right. that they really are a servant leader, it's easy to say, not so sure, easy to sure. do. Uh, then I, I feel like, all right, now we have a chance. And it doesn't start once they come here. We support them with uh, outsourced training, mentoring, coaching. Right. We have our own leadership academy in the company that we run middle management through to give them more skills. And if we have somebody uh, that we see great skills in, we hook them up with one of our outside vendors that'll meet with them once a month for two hours and teach them time management and people skills sure. and try to bring them along so they can become more mature as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're a man of faith, obviously, member of C12, involved in church your whole life. When people find out about American Asphalt, is it clear to them that it's a, a faith-based owned company at least, or, or do you wear that on your sleeve? How, how do you kind of manage that with the public, particularly not just with people that you hire, but also with your customers? There was some trepidation when we hmm. first started putting it out there. So I, I stepped right. softly. I was a little nervous. My lawyers made me nervous saying, Bob, you, you can't yeah. pray yeah. in a company meeting. I'm like, but I want to pray. And they're like, you'll get sued. <laughs> uh, and through C12, again, I found the Alliance Defending Freedom out in California, right. free legal yeah. advice that looked at my handbook, looked at my values, looked at my mission statement that had God in it. Uh, and I was challenged by the federal government. There was a EEOC claim against mm. me that we were uh, prejudiced against a minority, which wasn't true, yeah. but that was the allegation. Right. Uh, and right. they looked at my website and they looked at my mission statement that has God in it. And they called me and said, we have a problem with that. I'm like, wait a minute, mm. <laughs> you're, you're the government. <laughs> And, and yeah. so uh, the uh, Alliance Defending Freedom gave me great advice that, you know, that can be the mission statement as long as it's my mission statement. I can't impose mm. that on other people, but it's the Got owner's it. mission statement. So I'm perfectly OK to say it. But now we fly the Christian flag over all our facilities. Mm -hmm, we send mm -hmm. out uh, the John Gospel little tracks uh, sure. with our checks when we pay bills or we send right. them out with bills uh, to customers. So we're spreading the word that way. We give yeah. out free Bibles in our lobby. And I just put three Bibles at a time out in the in the yeah. lobby. And they cost like three or four dollars on Amazon. Right. Right. And every week I walk through the lobby and, and they're gone. 
And I just put another three out. And, not, and it says take one free. And what's amazing to me, a customer came one day and he took a Bible as he left and he sent me an email the following day. He says, you got me in trouble. I'm like, what? What, what did I do? He <laughs> says, I came home and my wife says, where's my Bible? Why'd you get <laughs> one? And I didn't get one. I'm like, I, I never would have what's thought your that. Address? And I, what's I, mailed your address? Him, I mailed him another Bible. I'm like, I'd be happy to send you a Bible. But just oh, Bob, the little things that you do. We, yeah, you, know, we, you never know. Yeah, we started a caring know. committee inside the company that's Christian based mm. that they're funded to help our people and and take the management out of it so co-workers can decide who's going to get 500 or a thousand dollars when they have a roof leak or a car repair or a medical right, issue right. something where they need a little help that we you know we look at it, it's a family culture faith-based that's what we do it so now it's on our website awesome. you, if anybody looks at our website they're going to see we have christian values my christian statements on there we make no bones about it and i've had jewish customers call me and tell mm. me you know bob i know where you stand I like yeah. dealing with a guy who stands up for what he believes in. Yeah. I have no problem at all with that. And I thought we might alienate some people. Right, it's been right. the exact opposite. the opposite. And instead, wow. God has driven employees and customers to us that are aligned with our culture. And what better could it be is Hallelujah. to deal with somebody else that thinks like we think. So yeah. applicants have come in here and said, I'm looking for a job and I've been looking for something that would be aligned with my faith. And it was such mm. a relief to see your company's a Christian run company. I want to work here. Fantastic. So Fantastic. I've, I've been rewarded for putting the faith out there. That's awesome. Well, you know, Bob, the time has just flown by, but we do have a couple of last questions and kind of go back to where we started. You know, there's lots of speculation about what, you know, work in the world looks like in a, in a post-COVID world. If we even get there, uh, you know, who knows what's going to bring this fall. It sounds like you've had a terrific year and I'm grateful for that. And we have to be grateful for our father for that. But, what, you know, what changes do you see ahead or things that are going to, you know, be a lasting impact to your business? I mean, you're considered essential. You have to do work, obviously, outside for the most part, but you know, what, what kind of speculation uh, and, and change do you see ahead for us? I have faith in God that he is in charge and mm. I try not to worry. They say, if you worry, you don't have faith. So <laughs> right, you gotta, right. you gotta stop worrying. So I try to hope, and I, I believe the, the last election, God was in it and the election and the politics of our country change what's going to be spent on roads and transportation dollars and taxes. All that has an implication on the business environment. And if new homes sell that we're building roads for home builders, that's mm -hmm, a good thing. Mm -hmm. If if taxes change and people can't afford a home, that changes the structure. So uh, I, I have full faith that God is in charge. He's pulling the strings. Things are going to work out. We have the best mm -hmm. country in the world, even though we're all infighting. I'm just I'm waiting for God to sort of put his hand on the shoulder of somebody to, as a leader and to encourage us to get along as a, a country again. So business has confidence and mm. people that are buying things have confidence and we'll work our way out of anything yeah. that's thrown at us. Great, great attitude. Lastly, what, what career and life advice would you give to someone who maybe has their eyes on the corner office themselves or, or perhaps wants to be an entrepreneur and buy a business and, and uh, start from scratch pretty much and uh, build it out on their own? have faith in themselves uh, mm. that you really need to have confidence. You have to be willing to sacrifice and sacrifice maybe time with family and other things. So it's a, it's a commitment to make it. It doesn't always go your way. And I can right. tell them plenty of stories of failure. So uh, anybody can do it. You just have to be willing to do it. The money's available. If you're inventive, just I prove that you can buy a business with no yeah. money. It can be done. Uh, and I've spoken to some college students about how to do that. Uh, so I, it's, um, 
it's encouraging to me that uh, the entrepreneurship, if you have the drive and you care about people, so people will stay with you and help you along the way. Uh, mm. It's a great thing. It's a great thing to do. Yeah. Well, Bob Brown, chairman, president and CEO of the American Asphalt Company. Thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roy.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 